Hope you're doing well. Oh, it's a bit echoey, isn't it? Hello. Um, so thank you for all those who wished us well, and we've been on holiday. Do I look darker? That's because I used good Factor 50 sun cream and still got burnt. Um, but I decided to write my sermon on the journeying, and I was praying, and I had a few ideas of what to write about, a few biblical characters that we've been looking at um, together. But I thought, let's talk about journeys. Who here likes going on a journey? Who here hates journeys? Okay. <laughs> Some in between. I want you to discuss with a person next to you or around you, what's the best journey you've ever been on? What's the best journey? Have a think about that whilst I get my notes together. If you can't think of one, you can discuss what's the worst journey you've ever been on. Does anyone want to share any stories? Anyone got any to share? I think for me, the worst journey I ever went on, um, it wasn't a long journey, but I was a supply teacher and I'd been called to do some work at Cheslin Hay. Does anyone know where Cheslin Hay is? Yeah, I didn't. Um, and I had this old broken like iPhone 4 and I was cycling there and it was so, I mean, it was like eight o'clock in the morning. It was so rubbish, the battery had gone dead and I'd charged it overnight. So I was on this random B road with no clue where I was, knowing that I needed to get to Cheslin Hay School within the next half an hour. And so I had to just keep cycling and flagging people down, asking for directions. I was never invited back to that school again. <laughs> Natalie's grandparents, um, interestingly, so Natalie's dad um, was born in Brazil and was sent to boarding school in England. And he was sent on the boat for two weeks. How old was he? 15 years old, sent on a boat for two weeks, go to England. That must have been a scary journey. And we all go on journeys, and we're all on a journey, aren't we? We're all on a journey in the Lord, but I'm going to speak specifically about the first type of actual physical journeys. We all went on a journey here today, right? Unless you live in the church, we all went on a journey here. I'm going to talk about that. And often we see so many journeys in scripture. So many significant journeys throughout the Bible. Often people are following a promise or an instruction. And for me, that the core of the theme of journeys in the Bible is that God promises to presence himself among his people along that journey. I think that God sends people on a journey to meet with him. And God draws people out of their ordinary to meet with him in a new and transformative way. And there's a word that I love in the Bible. I think it's a King James Version that's found its way into many of our modern translations. And the word is sojourn, to sojourn. You wouldn't use that today, would you? You wouldn't go to a pub with your mates and say, oh, how was your sojourn? It's a bit of a weird one, but yet it is found in the Bible 191 times, to sojourn. Ancient Bible land, Mesopotamia, Israel, Palestine, it was radically different to our world today. And it was different to traveling. You know, you couldn't catch a high speed train. You couldn't catch a plane. But I think the essence of traveling then and now remains the same. And traveling or journeying is about waiting and anticipation. 
I remember as a kid journeying to holiday <laughs> and that anticipation and the weight of having like my knees crushed against my dad's seat that was all the way back for three hours on the way to Breen. It was a, a difficult combination. So what I'm going to do today, as per usual, is I'm going to run through scripture and we're going to look at different examples of journeys. Now this could be a series and we could focus on each journey and what is God saying to that person. But I want to give us like a, an overview, a lens through which you, if you so wish, could investigate the Bible through to look at some of these journeys. We had a long journey on the way back from Sri Lanka. 24 hours it took us. And that was without journeying to the, tre to the plane. Um, I was going to say plane station. <laughs> Airport. <laughs> that was without travelling to the airport. And maybe they should call it a plane station. And without the, like, you know, a three hour wait for international flights. So overall, it was probably more like 30 hours. Um, it was a long journey. Um, not as long as some of these journeys we'll find out. Journey number one. And again, this isn't going to include every journey. I'm just going to pick on, I think, some significant journeys that kind of illustrate the whole narrative of Scripture. So journey number one, if you want to turn with me, we're looking at Genesis 3, verse 22. Genesis 3, verse 22. And this is the out of Eden story. Adam and Eve are given everything they could ever wish. And like most of us, they decide to do the one thing they shouldn't. Genesis 3, 22. The, then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way. Am I doing something wrong, Alan? To the tree of life. Should I put it down a bit? Is that better? Can you hear me still? I will not do a journey across this stage. Anyway, so the journey that Adam and Eve first go on is a journey out of Eden. It's a journey out and away from God's immediate and physical presence. And it's a journey away from the tree of life, lest they should live forever. And this journey east of the garden, east of Eden, is one that, you know, really influences biblical imagination. It's one of exile. The exile from the garden is an exile we see repeated in scripture. And it's a bitter journey. It's a bitter journey, but it's one with which God is planning redemption. I forgot it upside down. I'll try not to let out any gases. <laughs> How's that? Okay, so the journey east from the garden is a garden away from God's presence, and it's, it is the fall. It is an image of humankind moving away from God, but it's God's punishment with a promise that he would crush the serpent's head. We also read afterwards, you know, when Adam and Eve have two children and the one kills the other, Cain is also driven east of Eden. 
as a fugitive, continuing mankind's physical and spiritual journey away from that initial proximity and closeness to God. Something I find interesting is that we speak of a Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve were kicked out of Eden. They're actually kicked out of a garden, but they still reside in this area called Eden. When I found that out, I was like, oh, that's weird. If that's gone over your head, don't worry about it. It's not too significant, but it's an interesting detail. So the first journey we see in scripture is east of Eden. Who went? Well, Adam, Eve, their children. But in one sense, all of us were part of that journey east of Eden. And why was this journey? It was that we may bear the penalty of sin initially in order that God could restore us to him through the sacrificial death of his son. First journey. When we move on to the patriarch, so Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Esau, we see so many journeys with these people. Genesis is a story of our origins, and it is the origin of many journeys. Noah had a big journey. He was actually the first person to take a world cruise. Never been on one. Maybe it's a journey I'd like perhaps in my retirement. Um, But when we read of Abraham, he was a man defined by journeying with God. He was the archetype for the nomadic Jewish community of the Exodus that we read in the next book. If you want to turn with me, Genesis 12, verse 1. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonours you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's a wonderful promise of God. It starts with go. If Abraham didn't make the journey, he wouldn't have received a promise. So Abraham or Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, or Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak at Moreh. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give you this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. This journey for Abram, Abram, Abraham, was the most significant start to the Jewish people. It's the journey that God says, go into this land that I have promised you. And that journey still dominates our headlines today now and again. It's a journey we still see. The Canaanite move was the orientation of the Jewish people for thousands and thousands of years following. It's a significant journey that Abraham made. And he continued to journey. We see that he journeys onwards to Egypt and he journeys back. And he never actually got to own the whole promised land, the land of Canaan. 
but he did get to see of it and taste it. And part of that journey was the journeying to see the promise fulfilled. When Sarah thought it wise to secure this promise of having you know, many children through Abraham's slave, we see that the slave Hagar is sent away on another journey. Did you say mention this recently, Simon? I feel like someone's preached on this recently. Hagar, it was you. Oh, great. <laughs> At least I'm listening. At least I show no partiality. Natalie preached on it. Okay, but Hagar goes on this amazing journey we've got, and she's like, she's a, she's a second part of the story. The story's not about her, the story's about Abraham and the Jewish people, but we see that she goes out on a journey, and God says, or she says that God has seen, and her son is called Ishmael. I almost got that wrong then. Okay, I'm going to move on to Isaac in Genesis 26. Um, it's only going to be a short section. If you want to turn with me, you can. But honestly, Genesis is full of journeys, significant journeys with God. Genesis 26, verse 1 to 5. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws." God's command is to sojourn. Why? That he would bless his children and through this nation, the whole earth would be blessed. In there is the promise of the Christ. In that journey is God's blessing and God's presence, but also a blessing and a promise that, sp that spills out to us today somehow. That journey, Isaac's journey, thousands of years ago, is one that has significance for us today. I think that's incredible. Following this, we see Jacob and Esau. Esau or Esau? Which one for you? Esau. Hands up for Esau. Hands up for Esau. All right then. Hands up for Laban. Hands up for Laban. Some of you not sure about that? I taught a kid called Laban, Laban, and I'd always say his name wrong, and I actually taught him for religious studies, which was really great. I thought so, he didn't. But anyway, Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau. And they follow, and their whole story is about their journeying. They're journeying away from each other, and they're journeying back to each other. Jacob flees from Esau, his brother, for stealing his birthright. He meets with God and then his story takes a turn and he goes on to a journey back to meet him. A journey in which he's broken by God. A journey in which a limp would have been a significant distraction. I love this story. And following that mess, we read that he's sent to his uncle many miles away. I'm just gonna read it in Genesis 28, in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. 
And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of a place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set upon the earth, and at the top it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. What an incredible journey that was. What an incredible moment. That would have been for Jacob. And I think the, the significant, I remember reading this and thinking, oh, a ladder between heaven and earth. That's kind of, that's a bit quaint, isn't it? What's that about? And actually this, again, thousands of thousands of years ago, that only makes sense in John 1 when Jesus says, I am, like, you will see the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Jesus says, I am that ladder. I am that go-between between heaven and earth. I just, for me, I, I love, and I'm trying to get across to you, even if I miss some stuff out because of time. Scripture is one whole narrative, one whole beautiful narrative in which there are themes, in which, you know, in any language, there are, you know, words that reference each other. There are, that's all I've got to say, there's words that reference each other. Um, there's, there's contrasts between ideas and they, they all come together, for me, in the Christ. Jacob has a second journey. Um, and that's a more difficult journey. Has anyone had a hard journey here recently? I spoke about my hard journey. Um, Natalie and I in Sri Lanka, we wanted to try every form of public transport. Every form. And it's, we found some journeys more difficult than others, didn't we? Um, What was your favourite journey? What was your worst journey? Being on the bus. Yeah, we decided to take a bus and we regretted it like straight away afterwards. But anyway, difficult journeys. But in these trying journeys that we see in scripture, often we see God and his goodness really clearly displayed. And that's when Jacob has that second journey back towards his brother, he meets with the angel of the Lord. His hip is put out of place. That must have been a difficult journey, but he's one that humbled him. And I would say it's true for us as well. When we find a difficult journey, we can see God's goodness, but we also see our weakness in those moments. And on that bus, I was finding my weakness very clearly displayed to myself and to Natalie. The journey then of Joseph. What a journey that guy went on. I won't go through it all. Did someone preach on it recently? Or am I making it up? Clearly, I'm just listening to too many sermons. Anyway, so the story of Joseph going down to, um, to Egypt, preparing, you know, Egypt's resources for the salvation of Israel, that, Israel, that name may be continued for Christ to be born. The next significant journey 
in Scripture, I believe, was the Exodus. Exodus literally means going out. The book of Exodus is a journey. We see Moses start as a fugitive. But behind the scenes, we read that when he returns to Egypt, there's a, there's a strange, when he's on his way to Egypt, there's a strange passage where God tries to put him to death. Does anyone know that passage I'm talking about? Have a look. I'll say no more anyway. I'll say no more. But in Exodus 2, 24, there's a really significant moment where Moses is on a journey back to Egypt. And that would have been a, a strange but transformative journey for him. Anyway, Exodus literally means leaving, and it's the story of the Israelites' sojourn back to the land of Canaan, fulfilling what had been promised to Abraham. And the dwelling place of the Lord is with them at this time. The, the temple, as it were, the temporary temple, the tabernacle, is established with them. And for me, that clearly displays what travelling, what journeying God is about, is that God is with the people. He is with the people. God was leading the people back to their own land, a place from which they would bless the world. God was with them. He led them in a pillar of smoke by day and fire by night. And the purpose of the placement of the people was the coming Christ, the conclusion to the initial Adamic journey away from Eden. If you're going on a journey at any point soon and you've got time, pick up Exodus. Because in each page of Exodus, there's a lesson to be learned, I believe, about journeying with God. If you turn to any page, you'll see something of God's journeying with his people, whether it's in love, in judgment, in commandment, in strict guidance, or in miracle. Each page of Exodus details God's journeying with his people. The people are not long in the land of Canaan before it all goes wrong. And they are embarking on another journey out, the journey of exile. And again, this is a big theme in scripture. We see it first out of Eden, but then there are two significant exiles and captivities to Assyria and to Babylon following. The journey out of Zion with the prophets was a journey of returning as well. In Ezra and Nehemiah, we see also the journeying back. And it was a journey with much sadness. One of my favourite psalms, because I'm a bit of a sad person, is Psalm 137. Does anyone know which one that is? Yes, it is. So I'm going to read it for you. Does everyone know the song um, by the rivers of Babylon? What I find funny about that song is that at least a version I've been aware of, I can see Mike singing it. It's quite a jolly song, isn't it? It seems quite happy. The original psalm is bitter. It's a journey of much sadness. And that's why it's kind of big in, in Rastafarian religion and also in, in parts of you know, Caribbean Christianity. It's because it's a journey of an exiled people who have kind of their culture stripped from them and are forced to perform. Anyway, Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth, if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. 
Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites for day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall be he who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall be he who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. A bitter psalm, a bitter psalm of exile, a bitter psalm of journeying out of the land. And then we see in, in Nehemiah, God ordaining and saying, go and rebuild the city. And we see that Nehemiah takes more than one journey. He sees out the land, he goes back, he reports, he says what he needs, and he goes and he rebuilds Jerusalem. Have you ever had a journey like that? Returning to a place, knowing that there's going to be bitterness and sadness. It's a big theme in Scripture, and not just these happy journeys, but also these hard and difficult journeys. These journeys where there will be bitter cries and joy indistinguishable for one another. I want you to, I haven't got too long now really, 10 minutes till the official close time, but imagine with me being on these journeys of redemption, these journeys of transformation and these journeys of reckoning. That is, that is the, the rich scripture that God has given us. Jonah. What a journey he went on. We were going to go on um, like a, a river tour. No, we went on a river tour. We were going to go on like a, a whale watching tour. But I, I thought of a story of Jonah and thought, not a chance. <laughs> um, God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh. And then Jonah ran off. Some say to Spain. Some say to Sri Lanka. That was interesting. I thought, so yeah, so yeah I didn't take a boat journey. Um, the sea was stormy in the book of Jonah, and Jonah knew that the only way he could save the crew of a boat that he was on was to chuck him out. And he's swallowed by a giant fish, not a whale. It says a giant fish. Apparently there's a difference in the Hebrew language. Whatever. I'm yet to see anyone chucked off a plane yet, but have you ever seen those, those like TV programs where someone's get rowdy and they have to like stop the plane early and the person gets arrested? Simon's nodding. We watch the same TV. But anyway, um, you've not seen Banged Up Abroad? Fantastic TV. Yeah, okay. So Jonah is thrown off a boat and he spends three nights, three days and nights in the belly of the fish. Three days and three nights. Does that sound familiar? Anyway, Jonah's travels are well documented. And if you ever feel inconvenienced at some point along your travels, have a read and cheer yourself up. Many other prophets have painful journeys as well to the powers that be. Elijah, Elisha, Israel, sorry, Israel, Isaiah, all rhymes, significant journeys. Now, fast forward to the New Testament. The first journey we see is the one that we celebrate at Christmas. Joseph and Mary's journey to Bethlehem. A young couple, they travelled miles for an infamous census on the back of a donkey, inadvertently unbeknown to them, fulfilling a 700-year-old promise about the birthplace of a saviour. And in the Gospels, we read often of Jesus' journeys. Jesus' journeys are used as a narrative to convey Jesus reaching out. Particularly on the Sea of Galilee, we read a lot that he went over to the other side. Then he went over to the other side. Then he went over to the other side. This is about Jesus reaching out to a community whether it's someone who's demon-possessed, possessed, whether it's someone who's sick, 
whether it's a people group such as the Samaritans, we read time and time again that Jesus went on journeys and he reached out. He also went on journeys of personal retreats, I'd say. Journeys where he goes away on his own to spend time with the Father. Jesus was frequently traversing the traditional boundaries of a religious tradition at the time by reaching out to those he shouldn't in order to heal them. But more than these journeys, we see the whole, the Gospels has a Jerusalem-centric journey. And by that, I mean particularly in the book of Luke, the way that we see the Gospel narrative work is that Jesus moves towards Jerusalem slowly. And of course, all the Gospels meet their final point in Jerusalem at the crucifixion and resurrection. So the book of Luke actually has got 24 chapters, 24 chapters. Chapter one, very small part, sees, you know, who Jesus is, how he was born. Then one to four sees kind of, well, two to four sees kind of like how he was brought up, that sort of thing. Then from four to nine sees Jesus' ministry in Galilee. Then nine to 19 sees him journeying towards Jerusalem. And then 19 through to 20. What I'm trying to say is like 70% of a book of Luke is focused on Jesus' journey towards Jerusalem. We read in Luke 9, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now this is the land, this is the place we've read of so often from Abraham through to his children, this journey towards Jerusalem. In Luke 13, we read, At that very hour, some of the Pharisees came and said to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out... <laughs> Natalie loves... It's good, isn't it? Tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus had a mission, and it was a mission for the whole world, but centred initially on Jerusalem. Jesus' journey to the cross is so significant that in many churches, in Catholic churches, they'll have pictures of that journey going all the way around the church. They're called the Stations of the Cross, and people will follow them in that now. I mean, personally, I advise you pick up your Bible. That's what this sermon's about. But anyway, in Catholic churches, there's this, this journey is displayed around the physical building. It was a journey which Jesus was on where many deserted him. A journey where very few actually joined him in his final moments. And this journey towards Jerusalem did not stop at the grave, but continued to the tomb and then continued back to resurrection life. If I could have joined any biblical journey, these are the questions I asked myself. It wouldn't have been Noah. <laughs> it wouldn't have been Exodus, but it would have been the road to Emmaus. When Jesus resurrects, he disguises himself and he walks with his disciples to Emmaus and he asks them kind of, you know, why have a long face? And we're like, haven't you heard? Heard what? Haven't you heard of what's gone on in this city? And then we read that Jesus explains to them 
the whole scripture pertaining himself, through starting with, um, I think it's starting with Moses, through the prophets and the law. Oh, I probably got that wrong. I'm not quoting it. But Jesus explains the whole journey of scripture and how it pertains to him. Today, Jesus is yet on another journey. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. Though Jesus' journey was Jerusalem bound, he sets us on a journey that starts from Palestine and goes out to the ends of the world. And this is called the Great Commission and it sends us out to the far reaches of the earth and the church is on a journey out and out from Zion, making disciples of all nations, actually seeing that initial promise, that initial journey of Abraham fulfilled that all the nations will be blessed. Now the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament, which I haven't really covered, that all bears testimony to the church going out. That is the church on its primary journey, by sea, by sky, by foot, by road. At Bible college, we actually had, to, we had a test on um, memorising um, Paul's missionary journeys. I found it really boring. I just couldn't remember all those places. Uh, anyway, but I did it, and we did it. And the purpose of that was... Actually, the church is on a journey today. We are sojourning out through hardship, through transformation, through to the world. My conclusion, I've kind of, I've run everywhere today. Scripture is rich. It is saturated with God's wisdom and his hand. It contains or is found within his living breath and his word. And I really believe that in our day-to-day, -day, we can learn so much about God's nature and who he is by asking of Scripture and the Holy Spirit, what of this? If you're on a journey, what of journeying? If you're preparing, what of preparing? What of drinking water? What of waiting? What of walking? What of horses? Scripture's got a lot to say about horses. What of illness? What of foreigners? What of money? What of life? And what of death? And scripture, as I said, like any language, contains a system of signs and meanings that all interrelate, that all point towards each other, and they draw deeper meaning out. Like a diet, you can't just live on one nutrient alone. And the Bible, I believe, through the whole of scripture, contains so many different nutrients, and we need a balanced diet of it. We need to to understand the whole of scripture in order to make sense. When Jesus says, you will see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, if you don't have the Old Testament, you just go, okay, cool, whatever that means. But in Jacob, that finds truer and fuller meaning. I believe that the people who often misunderstand scripture know little of it. There's so much we should read and pray when doing so. Secondly, journeying often provides an opportunity for a transformative experience with God, whatever that journey is, through the waiting and through the anticipation of our sojourn. One thing is true in scripture, and that is God promises his presence to his people, no matter where they go. Whenever Natalie and I, we have a long journey, we often pray for God's presence to go before us, knowing that God is, you know, God's omnipresence is already there, but to ask for his special presence going with us. I'm not really a fan of ceremonial or ritual prayers, but it's one that actually many of you know my auntie Helen, um, that she kind of started with me. And it's something that I like to hold fast to, to say, Lord, 
We know that you're with us. Go before us and teach us through this journey. And as I said, I think on journeys, we often get to see more of who we are. A journey with any sort of delay will quickly show you how much fruit of the Spirit is being produced from your tree. Journeys are times for God to speak to us and times where we can see him in a way that we perhaps haven't seen before. Journeys and sojourning sees the fulfilment of God's promise to be with us wherever we go. And when we go, God today blesses those who we meet just as the promise of Abraham was to the nations, to the, to the far ends of the earth. Through this blessing, I will bless others. And today, yet 5,000 years on, our journeying can be part of that initial promise. Amen. 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 I'm going to pray. Thank you, Lord God, um, that you are with us. Thank you that your scripture is rich and that in it we see Christ so clearly manifest from page to page. Help us to understand, Lord. Help me to understand and help us in all our journeys to see you, Lord, as our guide. You transform us through what we go through. And although we've spoken about physical journeys, Lord, we thank you as well for the spiritual journeys you take us on as well. Guide us, Lord, in this coming week. As Simon said earlier, may we have those, those mini prayers, those dedications, those, those worships of you in, in every journey, Lord. We thank you that we are part of your narrative, part of your love going out to the world. Amen.